Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Excited? Again, I feel like the Holy Spirit's going to do some, do some powerful stuff in our lives. Um, how many of you guys went out and voted yesterday? <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah, you guys did the early voting. Awesome. Yeah, that was, that was good. Uh, just, just moving to Florida and not knowing anybody, I really had to do a little bit of research to find out who I was going to vote for. So, but it was fun. I'm glad that's, that's one of the privileges of being an American citizen where we get to actually exercise our right to vote. So, uh, and then remember, don't forget, pray for their leaders, pray for our leaders. You know, the word of God says to pray for them. So let's do that. And so I'm excited about tonight. Uh, We're going to continue our series on the Holy Spirit. And last week, uh, just like Pastor Rod said, I brought up the idea of the wild goose. And I love it. I love this idea because the wild goose was a term that the ancient Celts used with regards to the Holy Spirit. And the name hints at mystery. And much like a wild goose, the spirit of God can't be tracked. It can't be tamed. The wild goose symbolizes a wild and unpredictable goose that surprises and it disturbs our plans. And I don't know about you, but that's been my experience with being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, I think I'm going one direction and here I go and boom, I go another direction. In fact, there's a story in the book of Acts about the apostle Paul who was on fire for Jesus and he's a missionary and he's just going after the things of God and he's heading in one direction and the Holy Spirit says, stop, and he stops. And the Holy Spirit says, go this direction. And he goes that direction. And lo and behold, the church in Philippi was birthed because Paul obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, I really believe, is, 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 is someone that we can lean in on and really make a difference in the world. And I want to encourage you guys, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And, and, and we talked about how that word if is actually better translated since. And so we can read it this way. Since we live by the spirit as Christians, then let us also walk by the spirit. The Christian life was never meant to be this boring, mundane, routine, predictable, dull life. It's supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to be full. It's supposed to be abundant. It, it, trust me, it's got its challenges. You and I both know that. We've been through some stuff, but nonetheless, it's supposed to be abundant and full, and it's supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life. And when we read through the book of Acts, it doesn't take long to realize that the early church, do me a favor, read through the book of Acts and test me on this one. The early church was a charismatic church. And what I mean by that is they weren't bouncing off walls. They weren't doing holy laughter, although maybe some of that happened. I have no idea. I wasn't there. But I can tell you this, they were led by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas were in the church of Antioch and they're praying and they're fasting. The whole church is praying and fasting and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, listen, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. And so Paul and Barnabas set out on a missionary journey. The Holy Spirit told them, 
They didn't get it from leaders that, that are overseeing, you know, the, the institution of the church of the day. Hey, we really feel like you've got a gifting on your life. And uh, yeah, we'd like for you to go. No, it was the spirit. They were led by the spirit. They were a charismatic church. And it seems to me that after reading through some of the church history books, um, which I love to kind of read some church history stuff. But as I read, read through some church history books, it seemed to me that when the church began to institutionalize, it began to become less and less of a charismatic church. The voice of leaders became louder than the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I, I prefaced that last week by saying, hey, listen, I believe in leadership. God gave apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists for the work of ministry and for the equipping of the saints, right? So I believe in all that. I believe we're to submit to our leaders. I, I believe all that, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is in each and every one of us and he's guiding and he's directing you if we're listening to the Holy Spirit. And so I wonder if our institutionalized version of Christianity really hasn't clipped the wings of the wild goose and now we're unable to really... Uh, uh, experience the adventure that God has for our life. We can't domesticate God. We can't domesticate the church. It can't be, it can't fit nicely in our little box. I know sometimes we want it to because it's nice and comfortable, but God is outside of our box a lot of times. So I was, I was, I want to share with you a story real quick. I was uh, really praying and asking the Lord, like, I really want to hear your spirit, Lord. I really want to learn how to hear your spirit. I, I, I want to learn how to be led by the spirit, Lord. And so I remember one day at lunchtime, I decided to go on this walk and I'm praying and I'm in downtown Modesto in California, Northern California, and I'm walking the streets and I'm just praying, Lord, just speak to me. I want to hear your voice. And I, I, I start walking uh, next to this bank and there's a lady coming out of the bank and she's in, on crutches. And, and I looked over and I felt like the Lord said, you need to go pray for healing. And I'm like, that's probably not you, Lord. No, that's probably not you. I'm going to keep on walking. And by the time I got 10 or 15 feet, the Lord said, I told you to go. You're trying to learn how to be led by the spirit. Would you go pray for the woman? And I said, yes. So I stopped. <clears throat> And I tried to make it not as awkward as possible, right? So I walk up to her. I'm like, excuse me, ma'am. Uh, I apologize. You know, I know you're coming out of a bank and you're probably freaking out that I'm going to do something, but please, I, I'm not. I just felt as I was walking down the street, I felt like the Lord said, stop and pray for you. And her demeanor completely changed. And I said, I really feel like I'm supposed to pray for healing for your leg. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. Do you mind telling me what's going on with your leg? I'd love to just pray because I truly believe that I serve a God, Jesus, who can heal your leg. And I'm stepping out in faith. I'm just going after it. Hey, we've already done this thing. Let's just go after it. Don't stop now. And so she's like telling me and explaining to me what's going on with her knee. And I'm like, okay. And I'm listening. And I'm like, I'm trying to come up with, you know, a strategy on how to pray for her knee. I really, I'm really believe. God is going to heal her knee. And so I began to pray for her knee and I began to pray hard for her knee. And, and so I stopped and I said, does it, does it feel any different? And, and I'm waiting for a yes, but she's like, no, it feels no different. I'm like, okay, that's okay. Okay, we need to keep going after this. Let's pray for this knee. So I, I pray again for the knee and, and I'm going after it and I'm going after it. And I said, okay, is it feeling any better now? And she said, no. She said, but I want to tell you something. I've been going through a lot of stuff lately. And the very fact that God would stop you to pray for me has wrecked me right now. And I was like, blown away. 
blown away. And all of a sudden, the faith in me began to rise up. And I'm in downtown Modesto, and there's a lot of stuff going on in downtown Modesto. So I'm like, let's do this. And so I start walking the streets, and I see a guy in a wheelchair, and I'm like, this is it. And so I walk up to the guy in the wheelchair, and I start to turn around to go in front of him, and I see that he has no legs. And I'm like, Lord, I'm not there yet. I am not there. (laughs) I'm still learning, Lord. I can't do this one. Please, can you give me something a little easier, a hurt toe or something like that? I don't know. God help me. I am still learning how to be led by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I'm still being, I'm still learning how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And listen, being led by the Spirit is to a large degree requires listening and hearing God's voice. And that is not always easy. And you say, why? Well, because there's a lot of other noise that's going around in this world today. Not only in this world, but in our own minds. I was talking with a brother in the Lord earlier. He goes, and he says, it's not that I have a hard time trusting God. It's that I have a hard time trusting me that I'm actually hearing God. I'm like, no, that's, that's actually really good. I, I, I hear what you're saying. There's so much noise going on. How do we tune into the frequency of God so that we actually know that it's God? We've got insecurities. We've got doubt. We've got the enemy's voice all in our head. And we've got to learn how to decipher and tune into the frequency of God because it's essential to the life and to the will of God in our lives. And I said last week, I made the point that it's an art. It's not a science. You can't come up with an equation like, okay, this, this, this. Okay, I will hear the voice of God now. That's not how it works. It's an art and it's a lifelong process that involves a lot of mystery, a lot of humility, and a lot of intentionality to learn how to hear the voice of God. And I love how God is always faithful and he wants to and will lead and guide us in life. He will and he wants to. Sometimes it's through the word of God. Sometimes it's through wisdom that he gives us in a specific situation. Sometimes it's in very natural ways. And actually we learn later that it was actually God. You know, there's a storm that hit and now you're stuck and you're stuck with this other person in the building waiting on the storm. And now you're talking to this individual and you're like, wow, that was a total God setup. It was a natural thing that God set up to touch the life of you and somebody else. Sometimes through church community and loving guidance and accountability. That's why we're here tonight, right? Sometimes it's through esoteric experiences because the Bible doesn't mention every, absolutely everything in the world, right? There's truth, all God's, all truth is God's truth. Just because two plus two is not in the Bible doesn't mean it's not true. There's a lot of things that happen that aren't in the Bible. We use the Bible as our standard. It's our, it's our rod, it's our standard. And so we, we match everything up against it. We wanna make sure that it doesn't go against the word of God. So to learn how to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, I think it's important uh, that we understand who he is. And so last week we talked about the fact that he's a person, not an it. We talked about the fact that he's God. He is actually God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And and if we're really gonna get to know somebody, we wanna know what they're passionate about. We went and voted yesterday or, or, or did early, early voting. And, and what you did is you did some research. You talked to some individuals about what those leaders are passionate about. And typically you can find that about they're their using their voting record and you can see what they voted for in the past and that'll tell you what they're passionate about. And if we really wanna get to know somebody, we've gotta find out what they're passionate about. And so last week we discussed that the fact that the Holy Spirit is passionate about Jesus. And if we're gonna be led by the Holy Spirit, then we too need to be passionate about Jesus. And this week, we're going we're gonna to cover a couple of more things. Number one, or number two, rather, the Holy Spirit is passionate about 
the world. The Holy Spirit is passionate about the world. The Father, just like the Father, is passionate about the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Just like Jesus is passionate about the world. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. So too, the Holy Spirit is passionate about the world. I want to read to you this passage out of John chapter 16, starting in verse eight. It says, and he, and this is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Then he goes on to kind of explain what he means in verse nine, concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, this is an awesome passage of scripture, and I want to be careful because I think sometimes we read into the passage. And so what does the spirit do to the blind eye? What does he do to the hardened heart? He convicts it of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And it says of sin because they don't believe in me. Now, for me, when I read this passage, I get a little passionate. I'm like, yeah, get him, Lord. Convict that man of what he's doing right now. Get him, Lord. But that's not what the passage actually says. I want to read to you what it says here. Because they don't believe in me. That's the sin that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of, that they don't believe in me. The one and only sin the Holy Spirit convicts an unbeliever of is not believing in Jesus. It doesn't say he convicts him because he's living a, a, a life that's, you know, outside of the will of God. He's having sex with whoever. He's doing all kinds of drugs, and he's just, he's just a wild man. It doesn't say that is because he doesn't believe in God. It's the unbelief. And this is an incredible testimony for us. This is absolutely awesome for us because then we get to share with people the good news that no matter what they've done and where they've been, when they give their lives to Jesus and they make him savior and they make him Lord, all of their sin is forgiven. All of their sin. It's not limited, just some sin, but all of their sin. And you might be thinking, well, well, doesn't the Holy Spirit convict us? Absolutely, the Holy Spirit convicts you and I. A hundred percent, he convicts you and I. But it doesn't drive us away from God. And, and there's a difference here. I wanna, I wanna, so there's condemnation and then there's conviction. And you guys realize that condemnation is not from God. I did not come to condemn the world, Right? Condemnation is not from God. Sweet Holy Spirit conviction is from God. Condemnation drives you away from God where the sweet Holy Spirit conviction draws you to God. And then he goes on, he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And so when I read this, I'm like, okay, here's the juicy stuff. So the Holy Spirit's about to show people how so unrighteous they are. No, that's not what the passage says. The passage doesn't say that. It says that the spirit also convicts of righteousness by pointing to the only righteous one, Jesus. He's not pointing to the unrighteousness of the world. He's pointing to the righteousness of Jesus. So righteous that he went 
to the father. So righteous that death couldn't hold him down. So righteous that he was able to kick the door of the grave open and rise from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of the father interceding for you and I. And what was it that caused Jesus to go to the cross? What was his motivation Sure, it was the will of God, absolutely, but it says it was the joy set before him. And who's the joy that was set before him? You and I are the joy that was set before Jesus. We were his motivation to go to the cross. And then he goes on concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. The passage doesn't say he's convicting the world, they're going to be judged. It doesn't say that. No, it says that the ruler of this world has been judged. And when Jesus died on that cross, the ruler of this world was judged and his power was permanently broken. The one who holds people in his grip, the one who makes people miserable, the one who can destroy your life, the one who causes problems, that's the one who's been judged. And the Holy Spirit is passionate about the world. He loves the world. He wants the world to see the truth so that the truth might set them free. I've learned that generally speaking, people really don't need me to point out their sin. I thought I needed to do that at one time, especially with my kids. I love pointing out their sin. Yeah, just, and I love making them feel really bad about it too. Like, you don't feel bad enough about it. You're, you know, but, but, but it's not my job to, to necessarily point out people's sin in their life. I, I found typically speaking, most people realize they're sinners. Most people know it. And when I'm coming at them, pointing it out, it often feels like condemnation rather than conviction. And we have to be careful that we don't condemn people. Condemnation covers, causes us to cover up, but conviction causes us to run to our covering Jesus. And I think the story of Adam and Eve in the garden does a really good job of illustrating this. You know, when Adam and Eve ate of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says that their eyes were open. And it says that, Jesus, that God came down in the cool of the day and they, they ran and they hid. Why would they hide? Because they knew. They knew. And so what did they do? They gathered fig leaves. And I've, I've been told that fig leaves, when you put them on, they're not very comfortable. They're like really itchy. And so they go grab the worst thing possible to cover themselves up with because they knew they were naked. They realized they were sinners. They understood what they had done. God didn't have to convince them. You you know what you, he didn't have to go there. I, I think God is a lot nicer than we make him out to be sometimes. I mean, he does some pretty crazy things that'll make you go, whoa. We talked about one of them last week in Acts chapter five when, <laughs> when a couple of people passed and just died. You're like, well, uh, hmm, that's a hard one to fit in my theology, but okay, all right. Uh, but, but God's a lot nicer than we make him out to be a lot of times. And so Adam and Eve, they run and they cover themselves up with these fig leaves. And what does God do? God cuts an animal, fur. Some of us pay a lot of money for that. But he cuts an animal and he takes the fig leaves off of them and he covers them with the animal's skin. And it's a picture of what Jesus did for us on that cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The father was covering them. They didn't need to cover themselves. And it's a picture of condemnation where Adam and Eve felt condemned because of what they did and they tried to cover themselves up and God the father comes along and says, hold on, I got you, I'll 
cover you. And that's the sweet spirit conviction. And you say, well, yeah, but he, but he judged him because he, he cast him out of the, the garden. They weren't allowed to stay in the garden. Tell me what you think about that. What I think about that is that's the grace of God because it says that there was going to be an angel that was actually going to guard the way with sing, swinging swords so they couldn't get back into the garden. Why? Because God was so gracious and so merciful enough that he didn't want them to live in a perpetual state of death, the Bible tells us. That, that sounds like a different type of, God than what I thought. Yes, God is a God of love. The Holy Spirit is compassionate about the world. I think God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are a lot nicer than we make them out to be sometimes. <laughs> in Romans, in Romans 2.15, it talks about uh, even the Gentiles who didn't know God. It says the Gentiles who did not know God still had God's law written on their heart. They had a conscience. They had a conscience on their heart. They didn't know the law of God, but they had this conscience written on their heart that said, hey, that's bad, that's good. Now, there are times in Romans chapter one, it talks about, you know, there's, there's people that are living in, in sin and, and it's referring to sexual sin, actually. Um, and, it's, and it's happening so much and they're suppressing, you know, this conscience that they have in their heart. They're suppressing it so much that God finally says, hey, listen, I'm just gonna give you over to what you're going after. He just gives them over to what they're going after, allows them to go the direction they're going. And now their conscience is seared. And now they're living this lifestyle that they think is okay. And then other people around them are actually, you know, rooting them on and telling them that the, the, the bad thing they're doing is actually a good thing. Does that sound like our culture right now? We can't even define a man. We can't define a woman. What in the world have we done? We got to love them just like the Holy Spirit is passionate about the world. We have to be passionate about the world. And there's a way to approach the world. And maybe, maybe, maybe uh, putting God as this wrathful, vengeful God that's gonna come and destroy them may not be the best approach. Uh, I mean, I don't know if the Lord speaks that and, and maybe you, I don't know, but I'm telling you from my, from my reading of scripture and my conviction, it seems to me that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I'm not convinced it's my job to show people how bad they are. I'm not sure it's the Holy Spirit's role to show people how horrible they are. The Holy Spirit does, however, point us to Jesus. He convicts the world of their unbelief in Jesus. He shows them the righteousness of Jesus, and he makes it clear that the ruler of this world has been judged. Number three, the Holy Spirit is passionate about the church. The Holy Spirit is passionate about you and me. He's passionate about Jesus. He's passionate about the world, but he's also passionate about you and me. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, it says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. When Jesus was, was saying this, they were literally shell-shocked. 
You know, they had been through a series of, of bombs that had just been detonated in the upper room while they're sitting there having conversations with Jesus. They were shook to the core and they were troubled greatly because in John chapter 13, after this beautiful foot washing ceremony, right? Uh, we re we re read through that in John chapter 13, just a beautiful foot washing ceremony. Jesus begins to unload on them one after the other saying that he has to take off and where he's going, they can't go. So bomb number one, they're a little rattled. What do you mean you're taking off? What do you mean we can't go with you, Jesus? This is all we know. You're everything to us. I mean, literally, we have given up our lives, Jesus. I was a tax collector making really good money, and now I have, I've left that behind and I'm following you. How are we going to do this, Matthew says. It was a bombshell. They were a little rattled. And then he goes on to say one of the guys sitting there in the conversation is actually going to betray him. What? Yeah, one of you are going to betray me. Another bomb. And then he says, oh, and by the way, Peter, you're going to be denying me three times. No way, not me, Lord. You know me, I'm Peter, your right-hand man. And so one right after the other, they're just bombarded. They're shaken up. They're shell-shocked to the core. And then Jesus has the nerve in John chapter 14 to say, let not your hearts be troubled. <laughs> what? You, you just dropped three bombs on us, Jesus. What do you mean don't let my heart be troubled? Of course it's troubled. Everything they knew was about to change. Everything they knew was about to change. And obviously their hearts were troubled. And so, which is exactly why Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus knew something very important that you and I need to understand. And he goes on to explain and that they're going to be able to get through this. They're gonna be able to get through this. How are they gonna be able to get through this? Well, because he's going to ask the father to send another helper. Another helper is on the way, guys. I'm, I'm leaving, but I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. And the word helper translates the ancient Greek word parakalitas. And the word has the idea of someone coming alongside. It's para, coming alongside, and then kalitas, called. So the, the helper's called to come alongside. And it can refer to an advisor, a mediator, a legal defender, or an intercessor. It, it also has this idea that it's not a different kind of helper, but it's actually a different of the same kind of helper. And so it's really comforting to the disciples as they hear this because they're like, he says, I'm going to send a helper, but it's gonna be, the helper's gonna be just like me. He's gonna point you and guide you into the truth of me. He's going to show you the way that I would have showed you to live. He's going to teach you the things that I am teaching you, have taught you, and would have taught taught you. He's a helper of the same kind. And there's three main ministries of the Holy Spirit. There's the in, and in the Greek it's spelled E-N. There is the coming alongside, which is para, which is one I just gave you. And then there's the upon, which is epi, E-P-I in the Greek. And that's Acts chapter one, verse eight, receive power. And remember when Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter four, he's there and, and, and he's getting baptized and this radical thing happens where the dove just rests on his shoulders and this radical thing happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and then gives him the ability to live out his ministry. That was the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Think about this. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do the ministry and he was God, don't you think we might need some Holy Spirit in our lives to do the work of ministry? Like a lot, yeah. And, and the best thing I've heard is like, well, once you pray for the Holy Spirit to come, in you, isn't he in you? Yeah, but we leak a lot. And so we have to call and ask God to fill us back up because we are leaking a lot. Oh, yeah. 
And here's the crazy thing. The Holy Spirit actually led Jesus into the wilderness. What? That's not part of my life plan. I've got it all mapped out here. Here's my 10-year plan right here. Nowhere wilderness is on that. But the Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness. And can I encourage you real quick? As Jesus came out of the wilderness, he was confronted with Satan and Satan began to tempt him. You guys have heard this, I'm sure. He wasn't tempted with food. What? Doesn't it say, you know, why don't you turn the stone into bread? He wasn't tempted with food. I'm sure he was hungry. I mean, the guy hadn't eaten for a long period of time, but he wasn't tempted with food. And so what was the temptation? In each of the temptations in Matthew chapter four, I want you to go back and read that story as well, but the devil was going after his identity. Each of those those temptations, there's three of them. Read it. If you truly are the son of God. That's the temptation. When we're led by the spirit and we're following the lead of the Holy Spirit, I can assure you there is an enemy out there that wants to come alongside and he wants to tempt you. And that temptation is to rob you of the very thing that nobody can take from you. You can give it away, but nobody can take it from you. And that is the fact that you are a child, a son, and a daughter of God. That is your identity. That is who you are. And the enemy will come and say, if you truly are a daughter of God, would you be doing that? And the lies begin to get into the head. I want to encourage you. Jesus was able to defeat the temptation of God because he was being led by the Holy Spirit. And he did it with scripture too. He knew the word of God. And that's always a good thing to know. And you know what? The Holy Spirit teaches us the truth of God. And so he will teach you what to say, how to say it, and when to say it, when the time is right to say it. As a child of God, we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness, Peter says. As a child of God, we have an inheritance now. Did you know that? This, this is, this, I, and I'm not dogging on anybody in the church, but we got to be careful. I look at the world sometimes and I'm like, oh Lord, Maranatha, please come. This is over. This is going crazy. She can't even define a woman. Like it just, I'm just, you know, and I'm like, there's no hope, but that's not the truth. The truth is, is that I can lay a hold of my inheritance right now. And there is hope for the present, not just the future. And I can be a hope dealer. I can go and I can give people hope. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is passionate about the world. And if I want to be passionate about the Holy Spirit and be led by the Holy Spirit, then I have to be passionate about the world and go and distribute hope to the world. You can take my car, you can take my family, you can take my children, you can take absolutely everything, but the one thing you can't take is the fact that I am a child of God. No way. So Jesus encouraged his disciples. I gotta go, but don't worry, I'm gonna send another helper just like me. And Jesus wasn't gonna leave them as orphans. In John chapter 20, after the resurrection, Jesus comes back. That's a radical story when you think about it. Jesus comes back to his disciples and it says that he actually breathed on them and that the Holy Spirit came in them. And that's when the Holy Spirit was in them, E-N. So he had come alongside as a helper when Jesus was talking about when he dies, you know, the Holy Spirit's gonna come alongside para, but now he is in the disciples, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't gonna leave them alone. He wasn't gonna leave them just as they were. 
He's not like, wow, you barely got in. You barely made it. Good job, though. No, that's not what he was about. He wanted to empower them, empower them to be who he called them to be. In fact, the Christian life is about going from glory to glory to glory. One of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that's turning us into the men and to the women that God has called us to be. The Spirit is so passionate about you. He's so passionate about me that he would never give up on us. And he wants us to go from glory to glory. And not only does the spirit live in us, not only does the spirit transform us, but he's also passionate about us. He also wants to empower us. He wants to empower. So not only does he want to indwell us, not only does he want to come alongside and help us, but he wants to come upon us and empower us. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that, my friends, is what we're going to be talking about next Wednesday. (laughs) Another cliffhanger. And you're not going to want to miss it, trust me. I want to talk to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's absolutely essential for every Christian. Absolutely essential for every Christian. And, 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 and we've had teachings on this. And I think maybe we've got some confusion and some, some false teaching. I don't know. But, but I want to just bring some clarity, uh, uh, hope, uh, just opening up the word of God and showing you what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and how you can be empowered to go into Judea, to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world and declare the goodness of God because he has empowered you to do so. And when that Holy Spirit comes upon you, your life will change forever. I believe it was D.L. Moody, uh, who was a conservative Christian. I believe he might have even been a Calvinist. I'm not even sure. But he had a radical transformation one day. And you know, D.L. Moody was an evangelist and he was just proclaiming the gospel and radical things were happening. And then there was these two elderly women on the road and he passed by and they stopped him and they said, you're D.L. Moody, right? And he says, yeah. And they said, have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And he says, what do you mean? And so they teach him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He gets radically baptized by the Holy Spirit and God used them even greater things for the kingdom of God. And I believe that for us. I believe that for this church, for this body, that we too can experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we can go out of these walls and we can begin to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus because he's worthy to be proclaimed. And people are looking for hope. I'm telling you, you, I know it's weird, okay? I know you may run into a trans, you may run into whatever. I I don't know, but I'm telling you, people are hurt. I I just found out one of my family members who is a young lady, she's 13 years old, and I love her to death, and she's so beautiful, but yet she's so, like, she's, she's distanced herself from the family, and she just is, like, hiding, and she just is on social media, and she's watching Netflix and Hulu all the time, and she comes out, and she says, I want to be a boy. What do you? What do you do when a family member says that that is a beautiful young lady wants to be a boy? How do you handle that? Ah, I'm going to need the spirit for that one. (laughs) That's how you handle that. You're led by the spirit. And there's some conversations that we're going to have to have, of course, but, but she's in a tender place right now. And so what does that look like? Well, I can guarantee you she's looking for hope. She's looking for identity. She's looking for purpose. 
That's the world, guys. That's what we're doing. That's the world, and we have the answer. And not only do we have the answer, we have the power behind the answer to go and to proclaim with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you've got a hold of our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you, you convicted us of our unbelief in you and we came to you because of what you did for us. We thank you that you pointed us to your righteousness. <clears throat> and Lord, we thank you that you judged this world, the ruler of this world. Thank you, Lord, that he is dead. He no longer has the power over us. That power has been broken in the name of Jesus. And we declare that as a family tonight. And so, Father, just as we set aside this time right now, if I can go ahead and get the worship team to come forth, as we just set aside this time right now to respond.